I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and my guest this episode is Royce Nithuma, Head of Cyber Governance at Redsift. Dora is coming, and it's changing the cybersecurity game for financial organisations. This new piece of legislation provides a comprehensive rulebook on what organisations need to do to become digitally resilient, and it could have a huge impact on compliance requirements. But what does it actually involve? There's a question around kind of cyber resilience and kind of securing our digital estate. Where's the starting point? You know, can we ever be fully secure? Is that kind of 100% the goal that we should be aiming for? Okay, so so this is a great question. So I, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is no, we can't ever be 100% secure. And I think that we're mature enough uh, to understand the commercial reality of that. So, however, we can be resilient. I think that I think we have to acknowledge that there is a shift in how we're talking about it. We were we used to talk about cybersecurity, um, but I think that that was too high a bar. And the reason is is because so I recently uh, wrote an article in PC Pro, and I said that it was it, security is illusory, and the reason I was saying it's illusory is because. In cybersecurity, we understand that, look, you can't ever be secure 100 percent, that there's always potential for, you know, for, for problems and attacks and, and, and novel attacks that you can't know about. The issue arises when you need to deal with investors or other stakeholders and then they say, are you cyber secure? Do you have cybersecurity? And then you say, yes, we do have cybersecurity. We spent, let's just say, 11 million. Oh, whatever. You know, we spend 10 million, 11 million on it. And so then, then the investors who are unsophisticated and not technical walk away going, oh, great. You know, we're cyber secure, meaning that you're kind of bomb proof in a way because they're construing the word to accord with its natural meaning in yeah. the same way that if you were bungee jumping and they say you're secure <laughs> and then you jump, you don't expect there to be a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we we needed to have this shift away so that when we talked about what the position of each firm was, that we were giving a more accurate, more honest and more reasonable assessment to these other stakeholders. So can we be secure? No. Can we be resilient? Yeah, we can to a reasonable degree. And that's all that, you know, that's all that the courts or the regulators or um, or anyone who might have have a skin in the game really is concerned with. Yeah, you know? I suppose it's it's having that focus therefore on on doing the right thing rather than an absolute state. I suppose cybersecurity infers nothing can ever you know nothing can ever go wrong. There's only because you know, because you know one breach, one incident, and then the whole house comes tumbling down. Whereas uh, yeah, I suppose resilient puts that emphasis on rather than ensuring an absolute state where where it's, there is no imperfections, which is probably going to be completely unachievable. It's about focusing on always continually doing the right thing and improvement, which I think is is. It, it's important to have realistic objectives in terms of, you know, from a cybersecurity and IT perspective. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, 100%. So it's, it's interesting because we understand this in the real world, right? So, yeah. if, you know, it's coming up to summertime and lots of people are going to do road trips. They have no expectation that they're going to die. But the reality is, is that, like, you know, you could have a, a big 18-wheeler truck, um have a blowout and like take you out the things happen that are beyond our control that are not reasonable for us to foresee it doesn't mean that we don't do road trips 
over the summer. It doesn't mean that we don't do these things. We have to do these things, but we have to measure and then manage the things that are inside of our control. So, you know, you're taking the you're taking a road trip. No, you it's your car. You do everything that you can. So your tires have got like, you know, enough tread, you know, um, it's roadworthy. You've got enough sleep, you know. All of those things are inside of the control. And I think that's what resilience really speaks to, because resilience is born in the preparation phase. Right. Resilience isn't something yes. that happens once you get attacked. It is yeah. the tire kicking, checking under the hood, making sure that things are essentially like roadworthy. Uh, by the way, I'm going to do this right throughout our chat, Neil. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'm going to mix metaphors. We're going to be. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, no. Uh, so I think is it, is it important for us to kind of define the terms in a way in terms of what resilience kind of means? Because I think that's the that's that challenge when you kind of start getting into legislation, I suppose, uh, you know, in kind of obligations for IT teams and organisations back to kind of stakeholders and shareholders, as you mentioned, in terms of, you know, what does what do, is there a kind of a definition of resilience we kind of need to agree on in terms of, you know, those foundations of cybersecurity policy that, the you know, that an organisation tries to implement? Okay, so the answer to that is yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I know this is painful. It's painful to speak to it, to lawyers. So, look, the answer is yes and no, and here's the reason: because there's no one size fits all. So you know, um, uh, Orville and Wilbur's bike shop, for example, isn't going to have sensitive data. It's probably you know, it's not going to have. Um, it, maybe a lot of traffic it's not going to have there's loads of things that or that's not going to have but then if you look at like acme bank on the other hand um then that's a whole different story the thing about legislation look i say this a lot the courts don't expect you to see around corners they expect you to read the writing on the wall okay yeah. and so you don't have to worry about every single potential novel threat, which is something that we used to do. You know, you, both of us are old enough to remember when every conference was filled with really with the outliers and black swans. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt in it. Well, there's no uncertainty and there's no doubt. You have to do the basics. Right. So you yeah. have to do your belts and braces. You have to do you have to. um if it's easily foreseeable, then you have to do it. And this is where the legislation looks to. So they're always looking to, well, what's reasonably, um, what's reasonably foreseeable? What's um, proportionate to, for the scale of your business? You know, there's no, there's no regulator is going to look at your revenue and say, oh, yeah, you should, you should have invested all of your profits in making yourself secure. You know, businesses are, after all, commercial ventures and it has to be proportionate. Um, and so in that way, I can't give everyone a straight answer and say, yes, well, you absolutely. But for sure, you, mu you must be doing the basics. There's going to be there's going to be nowhere for businesses to be able to to move themselves, to defend themselves if they're caught, if they're in a position where they have failed to to address the known significant threats. 
Yeah, and and I think to be fair, I think a lot of you know kind of consumers and the general kind of awareness of cybersecurity now means that I think most people understand when organisations have tried to do the right thing. You know, when 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 they've kind of been reasonable or when when they've obviously been negligent. You know, if they if they've done things that kind of you know or missed gaps or not done some of those basics, they've not followed best practice. I think I think most people have a, a good understanding now. So I think it's. You know, it, it it's probably fairly reasonable. Organisations know what they need to do that you know that relates to yeah their type of organisation, the type of data that they've got. I think there's there's a good understanding now that organisations can't be perfect. They just but they need to be doing the right thing and th- they need to be seen to be doing the right thing and communicating about that, which is is one of those areas that I think a lot of organisations do fall down of when things go wrong. The communication isn't always great. So this is interesting because this now brings us into the solar winds um, class action case, right? Yeah. Yes. So that, that the solar winds class action case is is really instructive because it wasn't because they were attacked or it wasn't because of the vulnerability. It was because of communication, and when yeah. they communicated, they lied, right? Yeah. So they were dishonest. So the CEO and the CFO attested that and and signed off a form 10k i think it was you know to the markets um but failed to reveal circumstances that were material um, and and that shows us as well that this you know the stakeholders and investors in particular are becoming a lot more sophisticated when they're unpicking all of these things i look back at remember the the sony attack in 2014 I think they got away. I think they got away lightly, given the entire set of circumstances, because they were able to talk about the sophisticated actor. So, you know, it was attributed to North Korea and it was like, oh, it was sophisticated actor, sophisticated actor, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is it wasn't a sophisticated act. No, no. Right. And so now that's what investors are going. Yeah, yeah. I don't care who did it. How did they do it? And yeah. if a 10 year old could do it by looking at a one minute, 18 seconds, you know, YouTube tutorial, yeah. you're in real hot water. And so that's the that's the shift that, you know, things have changed so much, even in the last five years. It, it's it's been extraordinary. It was like, you know, it was quite laggy, if if I may, you know, it was quite laggy and, and slow. But now the evolution is sort of hockey stick. The level of sophistication uh, amongst other market participants is driving real change, I think. Yeah, and I think we've started seeing the case. I think is it the the, the Uber one um, over in the US as well with regard to the personal responsibility. And again, that comes back down to the fact of not that something went wrong, but it was somebody's reaction to something going wrong. And that, that level of accountability, transparency and you know, kind of how you deal with things that go wrong rather than stopping things going wrong in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, every every sort of corporate scandal that that we've looked that, that you look at, it's, you know, we say it's people, processes and tools, right? Yeah. But if you don't have the people, so if you don't have the culture and the leadership, then you're never going to have the processes and you can just forget about your tools, right? So, yeah. like, just to give you an example, you know, remember that submarine that just like a couple of weeks ago imploded? Yeah. It's never about the widget. The guy was told time and time and time again, you've got a problem. He did nothing. 
right? He did yeah. nothing. I mean, sending people down in the equivalent of a bathtub isn't the greatest idea, but yeah. like not not fixing things when you have yeah. marine engineers saying, yeah, this is a significant problem. That's number one. You look at the Boeing um, uh 737, um, you know, the 737 MAX, you had the accident in Malaysia and the other one in, in, in Africa, I think it was. And that was based, basically that happened because of a bug in the line of code. And the bug in the line of code had to do with their, um, with, it was, it was called the MCAS system. And it had to, it, it, I think it drove the nose down when it should have been going up and then the pilots didn't know about it. But what's crucial is that people in the business knew about it and they did nothing, right? Yeah. And not only did they do nothing, they didn't even tell the pilots how to correct for it. So this is all, you know, if, if a truly sophisticated nation state actor using a sophisticated act penetrates your firm and you know and, and does whatever damage you're going to end up with sympathy but more importantly the regulator isn't going to um you're, you know you're not going to end up with a huge fine because it wasn't foreseeable and it wasn't avoidable and it wouldn't be proportionate and all of the good stuff conversely if it's a known significant threat that was reasonably foreseeable and avoidable and proportionate for you then that's that's where the troubles lie yeah interesting kind of touching on the, the airline piece because i think that's a, a kind of a conversation that i've seen kind of coming up more and, and something that i've touched on in quite a few of these podcasts around around kind of transparency from a cyber security perspective i think both within an organization i'm a you know kind of you know, I, I find it surprising more organizations don't do more cybersecurity awareness training. And but it's not about just like this is how not to click on a on a spam email and this is how to forward a phishing email to your IT team, but about encouraging people to to, to share, to talk, um, to, 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 you know, if they think there's something that might be wrong with something to talk to their colleagues about it, to reduce the shame and embarrassment, but also just generally as an industry, because one thing that um, you know the airline industry i think d does lead the way in is on transparency when something goes wrong there's a huge amount of investigation there is a regulator in place everybody in the industry learns what happens they learn what went wrong and they kind of that means that that best practice and those lessons can be learned by everybody because there is that transparency around regulation when something goes wrong we all hear about it and read about it when something goes wrong in cyber everybody just kind of you know, kind of locks down and nobody, and we, does anybody actually learn anything other than don't do what those guys did, but what did they do? I don't really know, but just don't do it. But, and is that a bit of a change that we need, that we need to be able to share bad practice and we need to share when stuff goes wrong a little bit better so we can all collectively learn. So, so this is great. And I've, I, and there's a lot we can learn from, from the aviation sector. There's, it seems to me that there is a knowledge gap um, from on the lawyer side, right? Yeah. So there's an, there's an attack, and then what happens is you that's when the lawyers become involved in it, um, and then because you have that knowledge gap and skills deficit, maybe we're not handling things quite as well as we could. 
But then if we look to, you know, the United States, the Securities and Exchange Commission is now saying, if you have an incident, you need to report it. I think it's within 48 hours. And then in Europe, they have the Digital Operational Resilience Act, which is coming in, um, which will require you to report it on the day or uh, to report it if, if it's if it's within. So if, if your business hours are nine to five and it happens at five past three, then you can kick it to the next day and then you have until about lunchtime. You've got four hours the next day. I suspect everyone is going to say that they discovered it at about five past three. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we weren't sure about it. We, you know, we were absolutely um, so that they had an incident. And then so that's the, the primary um, reporting time. But but that also helps us to collate all of that information and use that in a meaningful way, because yeah. lawyers of, uh, are risk managers, essentially. Right. So something happens, there's no requirement to disclose it. And then they think, well, reputational damage and most of them will be able to rattle off because of, you know, the literature in, in the area and say, well, reputational damage is 7% on the initial news shock, further amplified 15 to 20% on the additional news flows. Although in the real world, it's a lot worse than that. But that's the most sort of up-to-date literature will, will say that about reputational risk. So they're going to weigh it up and go, well, we are under no obligation to disclose. And if we do disclose, we could see a dip in the share price. So why don't we just all keep this to ourselves, right? Do, do you know? So I, I think it's part of the natural evolution as we move towards a sort of a, a more a, a more sophisticated understanding of what we're dealing with. Yeah. So if we obviously we talked a bit about legislation, you kind of mentioned mentioned Dora there. So obviously that's kind of that's new. That's kind of coming up. You want to, but I, I think there's a you know kind of there's as with all these things, there's still a, a lot to learn about it. Um, can you kind of give a little bit of background as to kind of where what this legislation is about and, and what what they're looking to achieve with it, and and the, you know what the implications are for for businesses in the UK particularly. Yeah. So okay. So. Well, DORA is it's EU first of all, and it will apply to uh, member states, but it will also apply to any financial entity um, that's operating. You know, if you're selling to, um, if you're, well, let, let me start that again. Um, it, if, if you, financial entities is defined really widely if you create transfer hold invest money um, then you're definitely falling within the scope of it um, and it's written so wide that even crypto asset providers and and are included right. as are ICT third party suppliers right. so yeah right so that so this is is quite interesting um, the reason for the digital operational resilience act is because after the financial crisis, well, there was a couple of things we learned with the financial crisis. One was the interconnectedness of those um, of those entities. You know, one dropped and then they started to fall like yep. dominoes because they were interconnected and the contagion effect. And we know that from we we really acutely understand the contagion effect, not just from the financial crisis, but also from COVID. Right? We've all lived through yep. a biological contagion. We understand it. So in order for us to have like a more robust financial sector to make sure that everybody is doing their bit 
So what's happening, Neil, in my view, is you've got a lot of businesses are doing more than their fair share, right? So, for example, you know, there's a lot of money is being spent on, um, like, you know, protecting you from inbound emails, right? Well, and those businesses are also protecting their um, outbound emails, making sure that people can rely on it, that they know that it's authentic and that the content is good, all of their good stuff. But the thing is, is if everybody looked after their outbound email, then we would be in a much we would be in much safer uh, in much safer territory. And so what the Digital Operational Resilience Act is saying, everybody has to reach a reasonable standard. And if I'm to put it into a tweet, it says, you know, you must address reasonably identifiable circumstances. Right. So stop worrying about all of those black swan events. Don't worry about the stocks net unless you're enriching uranium. Yeah. In which case you have bigger problems. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so that's why we have it. Also, you know, member states have tried to um, to address these problems, but it was just it was messy and confusing. And so what this does is it's like one ring to bind them. It's like, look, look to this document. And if you look to this document, then you'll have complied with everything. So it initially it'll make it simpler and then therefore less expensive to comply. And as you say, there's quite a, a broad definition. So I think it's, you know, kind of often kind of kind of requirements in the past, I mean, it could, things like kind of PCI are very specific. But I think this is, is this a good good example of where organisations kind of, you know, kind of, it, you might not be technically or consider yourself to be a financial services firm in terms of a bank, but actually if you're handling this sort of data, this sort of information, you're handling money, then actually you need to take a, you know, you need to have a, a, a a better handle on your responsibility beyond just your organization itself. Yeah, so so I see I see real value in the broader application of Dora. So imagine if you're a business and you and you fall outside of the scope of, of Dora. What Dora does is it, it, it says like look to uh, you know um, international standards. So NIST for example. You know if if you if you're um, driving NIST and you're conforming with that, well, then you're in really good shape, which anyway is, you know, risk management 101. But if you don't, if you're a business and you don't fall within it, can you imagine if there is an incident that, and you're able to say, not only have we conformed with NIST, but we look to DORA to make sure our business complied with that. And in that way, what you're able to do then to the regulators is you're able to say, look, we've, you know, identified reasonably, um, reasonably identifiable circumstances we've addressed reasonably identifiable circumstances we've protected we've you know prevented and we've run through the whole thing our board and our management um, have been educated and they understand the importance of of um, ICT risk throughout the business they've taken full responsibility for it and then we're able to get the tools that we need so that we've got the people. You have to um, educate the board and you also have to train up your people. So that's that's your people element. Then you have to have the processes, the proper processes. Well, look to international standards um, and then you're, you make sure you have the right tools. And if you do that for whatever size of a business and something happens, the regulator is going to be kind to you. 
that your investors won't have, um, you know, they, they won't have a claim in terms of uh, class action, because yep. this is another issue for businesses that are operating in and around Europe, um, is that the collective redress directive came in in June. And what that means is that, you know, the way in the United States, we're all familiar with like big class actions. Yep. All right. And we think, oh, Europeans, we're so reasonable. We don't do class actions. Well, it's really because we didn't have the mechanism. Right. And so now what happens is imagine if uh, imagine British Airways have a data breach, but it hurts people in Europe. Yeah. There is now a mechanism for them to operate as a class to make it more efficient, more effective and uh, less expensive to yeah. pursue those big entities. And then you have to think, well, that's GDP. So it, it, like if it's a data breach, it's GDPR. Yeah. You have the right to private enforcement. And now you have a mechanism to take this class action. This is going to be painful um, for a lot of firms. And it's like, well, rather than, rather than wait for the pain to occur, why not start to lock down the obvious today, you know? Uh, and potentially that could impact things like cyber insurance as well, which we've we've seen is a, a very complex market. I mean, we've been having lots of conversations with people and there was a rise. And now some people are now beginning to pull out the market in terms of insurers. There's a lot of complexities when people can claim, not claim stories of organizations not worrying so much about cyber security because, hey, they've got insurance, which I think we can agree is probably not a responsible policy. But, you know, all of these things could help contribute towards having uh you know more effective um cyber resilience in place so when you, if you do need to claim the, the cyber insurance uh organization is going to look a little bit more fondly uh upon your request if you've seen to be doing all those right things again yeah so the insurance sector is actually so it, look i don't cry myself to sleep if the insurance sector is losing money no however However, I don't see them as the bad guys in this situation. I think that they um, that they didn't fully grasp um, how easy certain things were. So then they ended up paying out, right? So, you know, like ransom, like paying out for ransomware when, you know, you needed backups and you needed the backups not to be on the same servers or, you know, like it, it, that, that was amateur hour, Neil. And the, that they relied on... so. The insured is under a duty to make sure that they take reasonable care. It's in the Insurance Act, somewhere between sections one and five. I'm going to have to look it up because I keep saying somewhere between sections one and five, right? It might be four. But, you know, so the, the insured must take reasonable steps in the same way that you wouldn't, um, if you leave your, the, your keys in your car, you then, you know, you, you've failed to take reasonable care. So when they haven't paid out, especially now because they've been hemorrhaging cash for a long time on things that were reasonably foreseeable and avoidable, it's no wonder that they don't have the appetite to do that anymore. But I see the insurance sector really driving best practice because they know the things that they've seen, you know, on a like conversational carousel. Oh, what is it? Oh, it's this. Oh, this again. You know, and it's the same stuff day in, day out. Um, so I think we're going to see the insurance sector require a minimum standard from their businesses to make sure that um, that they're protecting their own business as well and their own stakeholders 
from unnecessary payouts. So the interesting thing is, is that if you are an insured and you fail to take reasonable care, you not only um, have paid out your premium, the insurance company gets to keep your premium and not pay you. Right. That's the position that businesses are in. So I don't know why they would risk it, you know. Fix before before you buy insurance, and insurance is great, but before you buy insurance, make sure you're investing in the right tools to fix all of the basic stuff, all of the yeah. known stuff, yeah. And is this where this kind of, you know, stuff like the, the, the legislation can have an impact, you know, kind of Dora as an example, beyond just financial services, because it's going to have a, a, a you know, it's going to help establish best practice for you know for a lot of companies and then you know the kind of the ripple effect if you like is everyone's going well you know they're doing that like that and it's not necessarily directly to relate it's not like pci that's like very specific about credit card this is just around best practice and cyber hygiene and all these things and therefore that effect will then impact more organizations in terms of doing the right thing and then looking at other frameworks looking at things like nist um maybe it's looking at things like kind of cyber essentials um because you know, I was looking at looking at some of the the numbers around that, and I think the um, uh, coming from the, the the government was saying just over twenty seven thousand at the moment organisations have cyber essentials, but there's you know that that's there's another fifty percent of organisations have more than fifty people, um, and there's over five million or uh, is it over yeah over five million organisations with less than fifty. So I think in terms of the number of organisations that have cyber essentials, which is pretty straightforward, it's still a drop in the ocean. So, you know, there's, there's still huge opportunities for a lot of organizations to just still do the basics in terms of kind of frameworks and, you know, kind of, you know, best practice. Yeah. So I, in a way, um, I see legislation as a um, it's 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 indicative of a market failure. The market has failed to look after itself. The problem is too big and people need to be driven to do the right thing. So legislation is inevitable when you're talking about only 27,000 businesses have done cyber essentials. But listen, yeah. you know, the the um, British government in 2018 issued the minimum cybersecurity standards for uh, every government department, but that also meant suppliers to the British government and it's not a long document neil it's depressingly a very very small document seven pages you know there's the stuff that needs to be done in it and i was before the joint committee on the national security strategy and they were they have they're looking at the resilience framework and they have two dates 2025 and 2030 and i was like well that's too soon and it's not soon enough right because if we look if we look to 2025 that's a year and a half away um Okay, let's see what we can achieve in 18 months. In order for us to see what we might reasonably achieve in 18 months, let's look back at what we've achieved over the last five years, right? Yep. So then it's like, okay, 2018, you have this mandate. You, you must, without exception, do these things, right? And it's okay, so there's 371 unique domains in the British government. And it was something like only 40% of them had conformed yep. with, you, you know, with, with with one of the elements now maybe they had all of the other elements but it wasn't like you know you can you can achieve minimum standards by doing 80 percent of this document you to do a hundred percent and i yeah. took one thing and i looked at that and that's pretty dismal so 2025 is is too soon and then 2030 is way too late because look there's a war raging in europe 
And it isn't hyperbole to say that the security of our nation's assets, which includes all of the businesses that are within it, is a concern for our entire country, right? It's not just a, a company level, but a company, companies don't tend to survive these large scale attacks. Yep. Then you that, that impacts the community. And when it impacts the community, then it's like, you know, it's a country, it's a, it's a country level. And look, you know, we're dealing with so many things. We're dealing with Brexit, inflation, things that are outside of our control, energy prices. Businesses have a lot to worry about. And really, like locking down those, you know, the, the basics, the minimum standards is just, I mean, it's just risk management 101. If you're to ask me what, what people should do, do do those, you know. Yeah. And I, I suppose it's therefore important when we're kind of, when the government is, uh, you know, and different authorities are coming up with the, the legislation and the, and the requirements is, also is making sure that they're that they are achievable and they are proportional you know there's been discussion around things like on ransomware should should ransomware payments kind of be illegal and things like that and that you're that's starting to get into areas where it is complicated and then you you've, organizations have got to have a clear path in terms of what they can do and making it achievable and, and and would that be something where that goes too far and organizations go well that's just not always going to be be realistic see so where, can I, I'm going to be really controversial because I'm very firm on, on what I think on this. But before I do that, can, shall I just, shall I just tell you what I think? Yeah, I'm, go really, I'm so keen to hear what you, what you think. So my position is, is I would like to take the first person that paid the ransom by the thumbs and hang them from hooks yeah. because they made the market. Yeah. They, yeah. And then every business that followed that did it, it was like, you know, fundamental principle of criminology is that crime follows opportunity and the bad guys went, yippee, we can do this. Right. And then it was like one set of bad guys. They were all at it. And then you have like bots and now you've got chat GPT, which is, you know, for which is just going to get the people businesses need to get on top of this um, and I don't see I've never heard a legal moral or ethical argument that has sustained the position that we should be paying these guys look I grew up in Ireland and the policy was you never pay you never pay ransom because it just then becomes this vicious cycle right um, and I, that would be my position is your every business's position should be we are not going to pay these guys so what can we do to make sure you can't be held to ransom for your data if you've got copies of your data right and yeah. by the way if it's not encrypted at rest what are you not doing right you yeah know? Yep. So get your house in order stop making yourself the low-hanging fruit um and you know, don't pay the bad guys. That's, that's my simple message for today. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I think that's fair. I suppose that the challenge is organisations. It, it's about making sure that we're kind of if that sort of a policy came in, or how can we provide the support at the same time to make sure, even if it's just kind of like you know, 
best practice and, and support and having the right services in place to make sure that people have off-site encrypted and secured backups that that don't get hit that they can that they can kind of bounce back again and get up and get up and running um you know because especially you know if it's if it's a, a small commercial organization that's bad but you know it can happen but you know if it's a hospital um you know i suppose that's what they, no, they need to over sorry to speak over you but neil this is this is hospitals should be doing it right absolutely yeah that's you know you you have a problem with your people yeah yeah like so so the hse ransomware attack in ireland is a case in point yeah the just to give you some idea of how foreseeable it was interpol had warned every medical clinic, hospital, surgery throughout Europe in a document aimed at the healthcare sector that the biggest problem that that they were facing ransomware, it was a significant problem for them. They told them what the solution was and they told them who the bad actors were that were likely to do it. And these guys knew 12 months in advance and they won't put in the, the tools that are necessary to combat it and and it's cost to the country it didn't cost the hospital it cost the taxpayer in ireland like something in the region of 80 million okay my background is in corporate governance and when i see that i think there's there's a thing called tunneling right. or rent extraction and what i would like to do is i would like to know who in the hospital is the ultimate decision maker and if and to what extent they are connected with the suppliers who are now fixing the problem. Yeah. Because 80 million of taxpayers' money is a whole lot of money that needs to be defended and justified. Why is it that they couldn't get the money to fix a problem that they were told about in good time, which would have cost them a fraction of that yeah. 80 million? Yeah unacceptable and here's another thing as well people you know look we we need to have more transparency but that doesn't mean that we don't point the finger if if you have the circumstances to pursue criminal or civil action um, for failures to take reasonable care then i think that should be on the table that should yeah. be on the table in Finland, you had a CEO, a former CEO of a therapy um, a, a clinic, get a three-month prison sentence, albeit suspended, for egregious failures. So there was a data breach. Uh, a clinic had patients. Uh, the patient's privacy was um, was breached in a really horrific way in a really horrific way so these were these were people who had sought counseling and the recordings were released along with their names of yeah. the most intimate and private nature it was disgraceful it is more disgraceful that it was allowed to happen and we need to start holding people to account if they are responsible then they must be held to account. And I'd like to see more of that happening because then you would see as well as like, you know, insurance and legislation and shareholders driving businesses to do the minimum and, and, and to um, make sure that they have like a robust cybersecurity posture. 
holding people to account and either sending them to prison or fining them individually. So just really quickly, because I know we're running out of time, but I could talk to you all day. Um, so um, there was a TSB CIO ended up with a fine, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. More yeah. of that. More yeah. of that. I suppose because when people think about legislation, they do probably think of like the framework and the, the rules, if you like. But actually, the, 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 you know, that, that should be one third of it in a way. The other third should be that transparency. And, you know, and I, as mentioned, I'm big on that sharing what went wrong so other organisations can learn. And then the third one being accountability, you know, for, for you know, and for shareholders in a way as well and stakeholders, because ultimately so often so much of the conversation in terms of what is going to drive change of all the things that we've discussed it, as we so often in business it's going to be the money and if the shareholders have an element of you know if they're responsible for electing things like board members if they're responsible then for for things that go wrong they're going to push to make sure and demand that the right things are done in place and therefore you know that the executives are accountable and responsible and, and then you'll get the loop of people hopefully doing all of the right things so so neil so it's it, it's a, there's a lack of discipline right people know yeah. what they need to do and then they're not doing it but there's also another issue of if they're not doing the minimum what else are they not doing so yeah. this is what we know about there was a fantastic it was it wasn't really an experiment in New York, you had the commissioner of um, NYPD was a guy called Bill Bratton, and he had read this article about broken windows theory. And the yeah. broken windows yeah. theory, right, you're familiar yeah. with it, but just for maybe some of the listeners yeah. who yeah. aren't, if, if you have a broken window, the idea is that you fix it because what you're doing is you're signaling to the bad guys that something is protected. And so what he did was he introduced um, a system on the um, New York transit system where they would start to grab people who were uh, hopping over the stiles um, and not paying their um, their fair share of their subway uh, ride. And what they found was that the people who weren't paying their fare were also carrying guns. And the yeah. people who and when they stopped the people from jumping over the stiles, they also noticed that muggings on the platform went down. And we've seen this time and time again when you do the little things there is a larger impact and when you see the little things not being done well that is a significant uh, that, that that signifies rather a sloppy governance attitude right there's a lack of discipline there's a lack of responsibility there's a lack of accountability there's a lack of transparency they're all important um, measures for people to be able to take stock of, of where a business is. So for me, I think from the investing side for investors, I think there's going to more and more look to uh, businesses that are not just in good financial shape, but who have a robust cybersecurity posture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, unfortunately, we are coming up to the uh, up to the time on today. As you said, I think there's there's so much more. We'll have to get and get you back for a, another future episode, without a doubt. And and uh, often, you know, we I, I can see where all the kind of conversation is going. But I, I think when a, the the normal question I ask at the end in terms of you know what's you know if you're talking to either you know a channel partner that was looking to provide some advice for their customer or or an, you know an end user an IT professional in terms of what the what the first step would be. 
I think I can probably get an idea of the first sort of things that you should do. But I'll I'll leave it for you to say in terms of you know the kind of like the takeaways. What's the the first thing that organisations? What's that easy first step? Because rather than like fix it all. This thing, it has to be incremental. You know, this is a journey uh, for for all of us as a, as an industry as well as organisations, kind of you know by themselves. What are that? What's what are that kind of really important kind of first step or first steps that organisations should making to move towards a you know a, a better cyber resilience posture? Okay, so first of all, consider your source, right? So we have got. Um, We've got the FBI on the other side of the Atlantic. We've got the National Cybersecurity Center here. Everything that you put in, be really, be really intentional and say, okay, so the National Cybersecurity Center have identified all of these problems. These are the most significant problems. This is what we're going to do. And even if you know, even if you get to like the top three and you've done that and something happens at four, what it means is you can then speak to the regulator and say, listen, you know, we had a roadmap to fix all of these things. We started at the top, we worked our way down. And by the way, you can save yourself a lot of time because what the FBI is seeing, they they publish the IC3 report every year, is precisely what the National Cybersecurity Center is seeing. And that aligns with NIST, by the way, because these guys are, you know, NIST have got a really good handle on it and then they're driving all of this guidance. So, yeah, so one, consider your source. And look, I say this, I, you know, I work with a cybersecurity company and, you know, it's first class and I'll say all lovely things about it. But at the end of the day, we're a business. Look to trusted independent experts. Yeah. Businesses should do that. Consider your source. Look to those trusted independent experts. See what they're saying. Fix the problems as they, uh, you know, line them up. And then once you've got all of those done, then you can start to maybe look for like more colorful things. But don't look to colorful things and leave basics undone. It will be the rock you'll perish on. Yep. And there is all that good advice out there. You know, there, there, there is a there's a, a lot of simple stuff that organizations can can do. So I, I think nowadays that, you know, there's there's not so much of that excuse. There's there's plenty of there is plenty of independent help and, and guidance available. There's a huge amount of intelligence. It's just it's kind of finding that finding the right stuff that's applicable for, for you and, and doing those basics. 100%. Yeah, smashing. Well, thank you very much. I've really, it's been an absolutely brilliant conversation. I've really enjoyed it. So, thank you very much, Ruth, for joining us. Neil, it was my pleasure. Thanks for asking. Actually, thanks, everybody. Uh, don't forget to look out for the next next episode. Make sure you've uh, subscribed to the channel as well. Um, uh, but for now, thanks very much.